Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Hey, just before we get started, this is a conspiracy, paranormal, and true crime podcast. The nature of this podcast is gory, unsettling, and definitely vulgar. And we curse a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. So be advised that we're just two idiots with a mic. I literally have everything for them. Uh, yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. And this is episode 107. 107. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't Good know. Good if- morning and happy Thursday. <laughs> Good morning. Oh, yeah, it, it is morning for you guys. Oh my god. And you have to listen to us fucking bitch right in the beginning of the oh, morning. What a way to start the day. Wow. That's how I start my day every single day with negativity. <laughs> Love it. It feels so good. I wake up every morning and I'm like, why did I wake up? <laughs> why did I do this? Um, you know what? Uh, by the way, I don't know if I'm going to ed- edit that out, but the conversation that was caught on the tail end of the, well, very beginning of before we said the yo, yo, yo. Was us talking about nails um, and how much yeah. I can do Morgan's nails? Yeah. Mm, I could. I mean, I haven't. Okay, I believe you. But here's the thing. So one time, um, I I think I've told you the story, and maybe I've said it on the podcast. I don't know. But I got my own like acrylic set, like with the whole like sh- shebang. Mm. And I know yours is gel, whatever. Uh-huh. Anyway, so I got my first acrylic set, and I was in my room, and I was with one of my good friends when we were younger, mm-hmm. and we were just like pounding out nails, like we were obsessed with it, and. You know, that's those fumes. Mm-hmm. You have to have a window or in a large space. Mm-hmm. I had a two by four bedroom oh, and, yeah. when I was younger until I stole Marley's room. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, Marley. Not sorry, <laughs> but not sorry. So one time my parents came in there or later that night they came in and they opened the door and they were like, <sighs> my dad lost his mind. You you doing in here? He's like, you're in the house, fuck. He's like, you gotta have that window open. Give me that shit. He was so pissed. I didn't know what high meant. Yeah. I was like, what did I do wrong? I was just doing my nails. But I was, it was just so like, like, well, just were y'all like, okay? I think. You probably lost a few fucking brain cells. I mean, we probably were high as fuck. Yeah, you probably were fully. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so I've never done my nails since then on my own. But Yeah, this one doesn't have any like chemicals like that. Like n- nothing that smells. Um, but I can't do them on myself. I could likely do them on yours way better than mine. But I, um, you know, that last time that I tried to do them Patreons, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's uh, <laughs> right before I went to California and had a mental breakdown um doing my nails and i'm crying on that vlog that i made at the end i'm like okay i'll see you guys later it's two in the morning i don't even want to we take off in an hour i'm sobbing on there anyways um yeah so i did them there but it's so hard to do to yourself but during that panic attack 
that ensued from me trying to do my own nails. Um, I actually dumped the correct stuff that uh, like adheres it to your nails. It's not glue. It's like the gel yeah. adhesive. Yeah, I dumped it everywhere on our desk. Had to clean it up like so fast because it dries so fucking fast. And that fueled the crying. Um, and then after that, I glued the rest on with regular nail glue. They were, guys, they were so thick and lumpy. They were awful. They had like chunks in them because you can't smooth it out to yourself. But th- what you have on right now is my favorite I've ever seen. Yeah. Even. Yeah. This is that same stuff. It's literally the exact same color and everything. Yeah. And also, I do have to brag a little bit. I bought some stick-ons, mm. or not stick-ons, press-ons from um, Shein. Sheen, what do you say? I say I don't. I don't. Say. I say Shein. Like, it's in style. She's in style. Shein. There's oh. no way it's I think actually say, Shein. I, I think I've said Shein or I, Shen, Shen. Like, there's no way it's Shein, Or right? typically, I'm like, you know but the But maybe I'm like, just, sh- like, in such denial because it's giving Jimmy Neutron. But why would they call it Shein? Like, what, what, for why? Like Shein, yeah. Like I understand why Shein. Like she's. But why would they call it Shein exactly? Like is I mean, is that the name of the founder? Shein. Maybe we should look it up how to pronounce it. Anyway, so I got all these press ones. They're like a dollar fifty, two fifty, and they're actually gorgeous and they're pretty thick and they're really nice. Honestly, they've held up the best, even better than the nine dollar ones at Walgreens or Ulta. Right. I'm here for them. Yeah, I I really love them and they're cute. They are so cute. I really love them. Anyway, loving them. Yeah. Um, should I tell them about Ollie today? Oh, yep, you should. This is great. Okay, so <laughs> how long have his ear infections been going on? A month now? Since Two you, months? the day you got engaged. Since July. Mm-hmm. So Ollie's had these like awful yeast infections, and I can't seem to get any control over them. So yesterday on my way here, I called the vet, and I was like, look, like whatever I have doesn't seem to be working. I have auto Automax or Automax or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like this like ear like ointment, and you like has this really long like stem, and you stick it in the ear, and you squeeze a generous amount. Well, he fucking hates it. Right, of course he's like, <laughs> like <laughs> i'm like whoa. whoa and then of course i take him to the vet and the vet gives him a little dose and he's just so perfect i'm like Bitch. no he doesn't do that with me no so anyway i'm on my way here yesterday and i call the vet and i'm like do you guys have like and maybe an oral like medication or maybe a stronger ointment i said these it just doesn't seem to be working i can't really get any control over it it's coming back it's going away it's coming back so they end up calling me back later that night because she had to talk to the vet and the vet was like well, what we can do is um, you can bring him in and we have a pretty like strong medication ear flush or not flush, but ear wash right. that we can give him. But we have to administer it here. It's not something you can do at home. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, I was like, well, you know, we're going to out of town this weekend. So let just give me a couple um, like doses. No, I was just like, let me do the ointment for. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot. Until yeah. Monday and then we'll reevaluate where he is. Okay, great. Sounds good. So I come actually at work this morning. I see on my furbo, I would keep getting um, chewing, your dog's chewing notices. God. And I'm like, oh my God. So I get on there and he's, he loves my scrunchies. So I think he's eating the scrunchie and I'm like, oh, that's so cute. But I'm also on there. I'm like, no, put it down drop it and he's like playing with the furbo like going crazy and Psycho. like my coworkers are over there like oh look a monkey look a monkey and oh my God. he was just going nuts right so i was like oh whatever he's fine it's mm-hmm. just a scrunchie well i get home today it was not just a scrunchie it was, it was the freaking ear ointment everything the aluminum tubing that it was in gone, gone. he ate it the only thing left was the very top of the the tube the needle not the needle but like the 
the injector the injector yeah. of the tube everything the contents inside of it were gone everything was gone so i call the vet and i'm like um remember that really funny story i was telling you about yesterday like trying to get some help i was like well apparently ollie decided to take measures into his own hands and he wanted to uh, he hates it and i told him he hates it and that i needed i wanted an oral mm -hmm. i was like he wanted to eliminate the problem so he ate it and guys there's no way it could have been good like he did that out of spite he did that because he was like fuck you think you gonna put this in my ear again bitch i'll destroy it like Literally. that's what he did it's a fucking aluminum there's no way it's, it's medicine first off it i mean first off the medicine has to be like so nasty and salty and like ooh. and then you know that aluminum tastes like when you chew on a fork like a cheap fork yeah and like what was he he did that out of spite yeah. he did that so that i could not do it put it in his ear again he's smart he's smarter than he looks is he an idiot yes but he is also so freaking smart and it's so funny because taylor and i just had this conversation prior about like well-behaved dogs and she's like you know ollie and odie they're mm -hmm. super well behaved and i'm like yeah he really is isn't he i'm so proud of my boy like i'm just da -da 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 -da. yeah we were so hyping that motherfucker we up were. on the phone and then she goes I, oh now to see what he chewed up i'm like oh what is that and then she goes, oh my god i gotta go i gotta call him back i'm like great <laughs> all right call me back like we thought and i was literally just talking about why i will never get a dog <laughs> and then and then i was like you know like i like ollie and odie you know because they just y'all take good care of them they don't fuck around i can tell them no they're obedient they're obedient they're good they don't fuck things up they don't tear into things they don't tear into things unless it's their own toys or medicine apparently um, spoke too soon yeah it's done but I think Over. he's just genuinely mad at me because I haven't been home so much because he doesn't tear into things. And mm -hmm. yesterday he had this whole entire cardboard box teared up. Now he's tearing up his medicine. Like he's he's pissed. Well, he's gonna be tired of you. He's gonna start tearing up shit so you'll leave again whenever you get back. I know. Yeah. For our but little he'll break. have a fun weekend. He'll get to yeah, see Yeah, he'll Koda. get to go home and play With in a big Koda. field. And rub it, roll his neck and cow shit. Yum, my fave. So what are you doing this weekend? Oh my God, speaking of furbos. Guys, we're still in season two. Yeah, we're still in season two. Um, so very uh, interesting about furbos. Oh, Ron. So, you know, like she was saying, like it sends you notifications based off of what's going on. So it's like your animal is running. You know, mine says my your dog. I have the cats on there. That's the only reason I have it. Chewing, the eating, dogs, barking, right. howling, growling. Yeah. Exactly. Or like... Um, spotted or selfie and it's when they're like up in the cam so you get notifications for a lot of things and you get them for people and you get them for fire alarms yeah you do um so the other night logan asked me um if i would make his favorite soup that i make which is chicken and rice um creamy lemon soup and it's really good and you can get it from this restaurant called demas demas in um in Nashville and that's where I like copied the recipe from but I didn't want to use rice in it I wanted to use um I wanted to use orzo because I had a bunch left from that oh my god salad. why didn't you wait make that we didn't for me know today? we we never told them about that oh my god I need it right now okay we're gonna come back to this don't let us Do we have the ingredients we have the in well I don't think I have a cucumber and I don't send think I have his ass to the store I know I think he got pizza oh I don't know my what he did god. so anyways um blah 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 it tells you stuff all right so i had all this orzo and i was like well i i'd rather use this instead of um rice so i'm cooking that and then i found the rest of this big baguette that i had gotten so i was like oh my god let me make fresh croutons to go in this uh soup 
So I start doing that. And then once I, I put them in, you know, I like drench them in oil and then salt and pepper and parsley and all the things. And then I put them into the oven on broil for on 400 for like five minutes. Like that's at the most. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, I do that. And then I'm, you know, I get done. I'm mixing up. And I'm like, you know what would be great with this is grilled cheese. Like a grilled cheese sounds great. So then I start making a grilled cheese. And I had forgotten about the bread that was in the oven. Oh, no. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I start smelling something burning. And it's like a not a good burning smell. Like a burning like something's about to fucking explode in your house burn. It is on fire. And it's burn. like a metal burn, like a metallic burn. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? So I thought maybe like I dropped something on the stove where I was making the soup. So I'm like smelling around. I'm looking something around. Something fell to the bottom of the oven. Right. I'm looking like around on the stove because I forgot about the oven. And uh, then the oven goes beep, 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 beep. Fire, fire. Um, naturally, I rip open the oven, which you're not supposed to do, by the way. Oh, yeah, because all the oxygen out here? Uh, because, yeah, fire just whoosh when it does that. But luckily, I was thinking fast on so my feet, ducked down. Still have my hair, my eyebrows, and my eyelashes. Thank God. So I bust down. It's like literally flames and black smoke coming out of it faster than I can even get back up to my feet. I grab the thing out of the um, oven with a mitt. Thank God I thought to get a mitt because, I mean, sometimes in panics, yeah. you just grab it. I run it outside. Like I Logan. set it on the, yes, like Logan. I set it down on the concrete. I run back inside. At this point, the fire alarm starts going off. Nona runs out of the fucking house and is running, bitch. She's like, like I'm fucking out of here. Like, run for us, run type shit. I have to chase her ass down. So the fire alarm's going off. So Logan had gone golfing or something. And I was like, I'll, let me handle the dinner. I've yeah. been busy the last few days. Let me handle it. I haven't cooked for you in a while. I didn't get a notification from the Furbo. Fire. Because sm it he smells the smoke, fans, apparently. Yeah. He starts calling me. I'm chasing Nona down the street. Grab Nona. Bring this bitch back. The fire alarm's going off. My neighbor's like standing outside. I'm like, I'm good. And I'm like fanning everything my house has no circulation it's just standing so then i had to go get my box fans and set them in a way that i would direct all the smoke out of the house out the door out yeah. of a window as after i do that then i have to go back with another cookie sheet and start fanning all the fire alarms except for you know what i mean by that is the two that have survived because i keep unplugging them because i can't stand the motherfuckers they beep <laughs> all the time but yeah anyways that was um my fur boat story it was very embarrassing i love that oh my god i think if aaron saw a notification that said fire he would probably like i know logan reacted right like i know he yeah. did aaron would be like this hey uh something's going on with the furbo i think it's i think it's saying there's a fire you is uh is everything okay are you good but you know what that's actually probably good to have in a partner like if your kids ever get injured he's gonna be like it's cool it's like oh man damn that looks bad and then you're like oh my god holy shit <laughs> I need to go to the hospital. we have to call the er immediately and, our appointment at the er i wonder which one logan or i will be logan is for sure a panicker i do think so but i think i I'm, think you'll panic i'm definitely a panicker but at the same time like i'm pretty chill in an emergency you know yeah 
I'm all, and my that mom's like that. My mom's like, oh, it's all Gucci. It's all good. We're fine. Don't worry. Yeah, but I know you. I, I can see you. You are like that, but you would immediately call me and be like, oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Little Joe Schmo. Just <laughs> definitely not Joe Schmo. Joe Schmo Fetzner. <laughs> wow. You want to know what sounds like a fucking villain name? That Little one. Little Joe Schmo Fetzner. That sounds like. I Our, love it. The next person will see headlining. Like, Dewey, Louie, and Huey. <laughs> That's what my dad told Mark Pearly. He was like, yeah, man. So whenever my sister's fiance asked my dad to marry Marley, my dad was like, yeah, man, for sure. You're already part of the family. I can see uh, little Huey, Dewey, and Louie uh, already playing around right now. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's get this party started. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. Now, you've heard us talk about an Acquired Taste podcast, but did you know that they have a bonus podcast? It's called The Check-In, and it's hosted by an Acquired Taste host, Bethany Watson, and her partner, Dennis Kahlo. Bethany and Dennis work together as he is a filmmaker and photographer, and she is an actress, meaning not only do they work together, but they live together. And sometimes when you're around each other that much, you need to check in. Facts. Each episode of The Check-In starts with the How'd We Do This Week segment, during which they grade themselves and each other on how they handled different aspects of their relationship over the past week. Then they sometimes play a game like, how would they escape if they were in a zombie apocalypse? Or, would you still love me if... <laughs> I love that game. Bethany and Dennis are very open and raw about their relationship, their personal struggles like mental health, communication, and past relationships, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They are by no means professionals or experts, just a weird couple who loves working together and wants to share their journey and lessons that they're learning along the way with their listeners. The check-in releases every other Friday on the Acquired Taste podcast feed so if you want to listen subscribe to an acquired taste wherever you get your podcasts and the check-in will automatically pop up okay morgan tell us what you have for us today today we're going to do something a little special mm -hmm. um we're going to be celebrating the national hispanic heritage month yes so we have picked cases that were recommended to us by our listeners that highlight hispanic culture and they're pretty cool cases no so they're really dope before we start though i just wanted to announce the theme which not announced because it's been going on since september 15th <laughs> yes but um the theme for the hispanic heritage month is unidos um and inclusivity for a stronger nation which is beautiful that is really that is really awesome it's gorgeous and we are catching it right on the end of it because it i believe that it's from september 15th to october 15th yep so anyways, I'm really excited about this today. The case I have for you guys is really, really good. Yeah, me yeah. too. Okay, so I'm going first. Yeah, go ahead, bitch. All right, so located in Arequipa, and um, this whole entire time I have my pronunciations in here, but again, I'm not fluent in Spanish, Spanish so bear with me. I'm and trying my best And we are also here. not fluent in English, if you <laughs> haven't noticed already. not fluent in any language. Right. Um, so located in Arequipa, Peru, sits one of the most beautiful monastery that I've ever laid eyes on. Mm. And have I been there? No. But have I laid eyes on them on Google Pictures? Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So basically, I've been. So I've been there. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Google Maps says. Um, but of course, beauty pays a price. And that price was becoming one of the most famous haunted attractions in Arequipa, Peru. Wow. Arequipa is the second largest city in Peru and is known as the legal capital of Peru. 
The city is filled with churches and temples and chapels and convents and monasteries, including one that I'm going to be talking about today, the Monastery of Santa Catalina de Siena Arequipa. What? Damn, bitch. That I hope I did that great. right. Thank you. Um, also located in the city of Arequipa is the well-known Juanita the Ice Mummy. What? And I have to sidetrack and like put my actual segment on hold because I have to tell you guys okay, about this. I have to hear everything about so, it. So Mummy Juanita is a well-preserved frozen body of a girl from the Inca Empire who was killed as a human sacrifice to the Inca gods sometime between 1440 and 1480. And you probably know this story <sighs> yes. from National Geographic. No, I learned it on TikTok three days ago. Shut up. Yes, I swear to God, three days ago. Shut up. Yeah. Well, it is her discovery was and is one of the top 10 discoveries in the world, according to Time Magazine. I mean, yeah. Which is literally insane. Insane. So Juanita was somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15 when she was sacrificed to the Inca gods. She was discovered in 1995 when two people were venturing up Mount Apato found a bundle in a crater that had fallen from an Inca site on the summit. This crater had fallen because of recent ice melt and erosion from a recent volcano eruption. Hmm. So when these two venturers went to take a closer look at this bundle, they realized it wasn't just a bundle at all, but it was the frozen body of a preserved young girl. Wow. Everything was almost perfectly preserved. Her internal organs, her hair, her blood, her skin, and the contents of her stomach. What the shit? That is With crazy. her, it's, I know. With her, they found numerous offerings to the Inca gods, like llama bones, small figurines, and pottery. And actually, I read that it was like, so where the crater had fallen, there was more like offerings that were strung along the mountain that were just buried in. What? That you could see like still in the mountain. But with her is this is what they found. Damn. Yeah. She was in a cloth material that only the elite were known to have back then. Mm. And the clothes resemble those elite from Cusco, which is aka the Inca capital. Yeah. Archaeologists believe that she came from this noble and wealthy Cusco family. Juanita was quickly transported to Arequipa to prevent thawing of her pr preservation. Her body was then transported to the United States for CT scan in 1996 and more studies. And then it was also sent to Japan for even more studies and to be put on exhibition in 1999. Whoa. With this, all these studies, they were able to analyze the contents of her stomach, revealing her last meal before her sacrifice was animal protein and maize. Guys, this is six hundred years ago that is insane that they're being they're looking into this girl's stomach it and they're is seeing insane. what she's eating yeah which again made archaeologists believe that she was from an elite family because the standard diet for like the population like your common day people mm -hmm. in the inca empire was only vegetables and she had animal protein in her so she was she wealthy wealthy yeah through extracting dna and testing her hair they noticed that the final six to eight weeks of her life so that's to almost two months right consisted of heavy use of drugs and alcohol wow they found coca or erythroxlon coca which is the source of cocaine oh okay and they found chicha alcohol and i'm sorry if i mispronounced those for a child juanita's age this would have created a highly intoxicated psychological state that she would have been in for two entire months whoa 
And markers in her hair showed that higher levels of these compounds, sorry, they showed higher levels of these compounds prior to her death. So like right before she died, meaning that she was probably in a state of like near unconsciousness. What? Because the they were drugging her. And she was from an elite family. Yeah. So radiologist Elliot Fishman concluded that her case, her cause of death was blunt trauma to the head. Juanita had a cracked right eye socket and a two-inch fracture in her skull that would resemble, like, someone hitting you hard with a baseball bat. Okay. Um, this caused a massive hemorrhage, filling her skull with blood and pushing her brain to one side. Death by trauma to the gods was not uncommon when sacrificing a child in this era. The ritual sacrifice that took Juanita's life was called the Capacocha, and it was a key component to the Inca Empire. This ritual, a.k.a. sacrifice of a child, was used for celebration events. Like an annual or a biennial event to the Inca calendar, death of an emperor, the birth of a royal son, or even a battle victory. But it was also used to prevent natural disasters like volcanic eruptions and droughts, earthquakes, and even like health epidemics. Wow. So they would sacrifice children. Children. From wealthy families. What the um, fuck? During this, these events or preventions, not celebratory, but more so preventions, um, the Inca rulers would order boys and girls between the age of 12 to 16 to offer up to sacrifice themselves for the good of the Inca empire. And they would just like volunteer to be a sacrifice. So they said, but I'm sure it's a little more to that. Yeah. Especially thinking of a 12-year-old girl. I don't know. I just... I, I don't get it, but... I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's just what they thought. They truly thought that shit, you know? Right. Um, currently, Juanita the Ice Mummy has been on display in the Catholic University of Santa Maria's Museum of Andean Sanctuaries in Arequipa, Peru. Wow. So it brings a lot of people to this city. Yeah. Juanita does. Yeah. Um, the population in the city is 83.3% Catholic, making it a perfect spot for a convent. About 40 years after the city was founded, Viceroy Francisco Toledo was informed by the Council of Canons about their wish to fund a convent in the city. So the Viceroy gave them all the necessary licenses they would need to do build such a convent, and this became the founding of the private convent of the Sisters of the Order of St. Catherine of Siena. Cool. The licensing, though, it sat licensing, no lice. The licensing, though, sat around for quite some time until September tenth, fifteen seventy nine, when this young rich widow, her name was Dona Marie de Guzman, founded the monastery. It was gorgeous, and it was built with white stone from the Chachini volcano. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That is, I'm sure. So how how much does that go for <laughs> it had, i like it <laughs> yeah i would like that to be my dining room table yes thank you <laughs> that looks gorgeous um it had this colonial architecture including plazas and fountains and courtyards cobblestone streets and really co colorful and bright and vibrant walls and buildings that's so beautiful it is beautiful um and again this is in the 1500s so to have wild. stuff like that is remarkable yeah um each nun at the monastery had a private room. And so, okay, I thought for the longest time that, I don't want to be offensive here, that monasteries were for monks and convents were for um, nuns. And I may be wrong, but this, I mean, this is called monastery. So I'm sorry if I'm offending um, 
I mean, right? I don't think I don't think that's offensive. I think that you're just asking a question that's legitimate because I think I thought similarly. Like convents were for nuns and monasteries were um, the names of like temples for monks and stuff. Yeah, I thought that too, but maybe I'm maybe it was just so long ago that we were taught that. I mean, hell, yeah. I, I don't think I I think that was like middle school, you know? Yeah. That we just I mean, hell. Yeah, I don't know. I We've just, watched plenty of movies mm-hmm. about these. Yeah. I specifically think of, I don't know why my mind goes to horror, but I specifically think of the movie The Nun. Yeah, that's what and I was And I'm like, of. convent. It's that's a convent. That's what I thought, too. Well, and well, then I'm thinking of Karate Kid. <laughs> and it's a monastery. No, really, yeah. though. Maybe it, maybe it doesn't have to do with who is inside as much as the, the way it's maybe built. Maybe it's like the architecture of it. Maybe, or like maybe what its service is. Or like the, like... Um, the role of it? The role of it? Yeah, maybe. You know, maybe we should look it up. Yeah, I want to look it yeah. up. Okay, so you learn something new every day. We looked it up. So what we believe from what we can, like, s- understand from this explanation that's given online, it says that a convent derives from Old French and the Latin term of um, conventus, and it's a verb of, like, convene. And so it's like the place where they all come together and have community, whereas a monastery is technically a secluded community where the nuns and the monks live within themselves. And it has something to do with a canons regular, which is a like clergy, a clergy of, of the, of the Catholic, Catholic Church. Church. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. And that makes calling this a monastery makes a lot of sense because we will find out here that it's very, very secluded. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. cool. Thanks. I'm glad I learned that Thanks for going on that education level I'm really glad I learned that. Me too. That's a good thing. We probably sounded like dumb dicks before. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, probably. I'm glad we learned that. (laughs) That's a good piece of knowledge now. Yes. Thank you guys. (laughs) So yes. So it was beautiful. Each nun had their own private room, which was like kind of unheard of. Um, And the area outside was just covered with like flowers everywhere. Great landscaping, lemon trees. Like it was gorgeous. Oh my God. Um, Those who were wealthier had bigger beds and like gorgeous lace sheets, silk curtains, fine china. And some rooms even had two ovens. And again, this is the 1500. Two ovens? Yeah. But um, this monastery quickly became a city within a city Mm. and it was hidden and sheltered away behind walls. At the time, it was only open and only accepted um, young women from the upper class families. During this century, it was tradition for the first daughter to marry for money, the second daughters to marry the church, and the third daughters had a little bit of a choice between the two, but more so pushed towards marrying for money. Um, If you were the second born daughter of a wealthy family, your entire life was service to the church. And it really wasn't up for discussion. God, poor Lola. Poor Lola. Me I'm the Phoebe. second daughter. You're, poor you and Lola. Me and Phoebe are cashing the fuck out. Yeah. yeah. What the heck? Um, it was like considered like an advantage for these families to have a family member regularly pray for them and forgive their sins and like like just have someone so like involved with the church. Right. Um, but this type of salvation was not cheap by any means. A daughter's entry to the Santa Catalina Monastery cost 2,400 silver coins, which would be $150,000 today. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. A Holy lot of dollar shit. bills. Oh, my God. Um, and that didn't include the cost of bringing your servant 
which was required as they were responsible for cooking and cleaning for the nuns that lived there. So the family also had to pay for their daughter. They had to pay for their daughter. And then they also had to pay for the servant that their daughter took with their. Wow. Yeah. I wonder how much that rate was. I know. I'm curious to know, too. Um, in order for these girls to be accepted um, or when they were accepted, they were indicated so by wearing this black veil and they had to accept the duty of the daily recitation of the divine office. They basically lived and they died at the monastery and they were not ever permitted outside of the walls. What? They performed religious duties like sewing elaborate vests for the priests, the bishops, the cardinals and any other like public religious official that would visit them and they were not allowed to speak to men except for the bishop even when family members came to visits like including their father the girls had to speak through these like darkened thick set of like wooden gates so that the family members could not touch hug or even like really see them wow like the holes between the fences were just so little that's so sad yeah At the largest point, there were about 150 nuns and 300 servants living in this walled-off city. Well, you know what? I bet it also was like a privilege to be there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. It is like sad when you think about like the details of it, Mm -hmm. but... But over the years, the girls were becoming a little less nun-like and a little more Paris Hilton. Wow. They felt trapped. They felt like they didn't choose this life and their families chose this life for them. So they began treating the monastery as this wealthy girl retreat. Oh. They were drinking. They were dancing. Some may have strayed away from their vow of abstinence. Ladies. 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 So this word got around that this monastery was out of control. And the nuns were not reflecting this life of patience and prayer that this was becoming more of a social club of wealthy daughters that were enjoying like the fineries of life rather than a religious convent. And this word traveled all the way to the Pope. Oh my God. Pope Pius IX or P.S. I'm sorry. So sorry. Pius. Pius. Wow. Yeah. Who was the snitch? Who snitched to the Pope? We are in Peru. I mean, the Pope doesn't need to know a single thing about our lifestyle. <laughs> like someone shut the Let fuck up. Let us live. Like the, first off, they're probably still doing their duties so they don't get caught. Like if right. they're doing it, if they're having a good time while well, they do it. And I, and from my understanding, it was like the servants that were the biggest like oh issue. Really? Because they were like the, the bad influences. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because they were probably a lot out of the walls. They well, were probably yeah. sleeping with the girls and... Well, that's what I was about to ask. Like, are they all like, do they all have to be female servants? Like, I wonder. I don't think so. Whoa. Um, yeah. So in 1871, um, after the Pope got word, he decided to send a very strict Dominican nun named Sister um, Cadena to get just a little bit of order and to reform the monastery. Sister Cadena, when she got there, she immediately, the first thing she did was send all of the money from the admissions, like the dowries that the fathers paid for their daughters to be there, to be fed, to, you know, to Mm -hmm. live comfortably. I don't know why I said that. She sent all the money back to Europe, to the Vatican, to the Pope. Bro, ma'am. First thing she did. She collected all the money and she sent it away. Why? She then freed all of the servants and she gave them a choice of either remaining as nuns or leaving. Okay. So the female nuns or the female servants, you can either stay as a nun or you have to go. 
but you're no longer a servant. Like, you cannot be here unless you are a nun. Okay. Um, the nuns were stripped of their possessions, and the private bedrooms were closed and eventually replaced with dorm- dormitories that were a little more fitting for a religious life of poverty. Oh, my Because you're God. not supposed to bask in money. Yeah. And these girls, like, they were allowed to bring, I think it was 27 items, so they were bringing fine china and silk curtains and, like... <laughs> Just living life. They were wilding out. I love them. That is so wild. Um, contact with the outside world was strictly forbidden. And the monastery then reinforced its anti-fornification and pro-flagellation stance. I mean, it, it was kind of there the whole time. They just were saying, fuck it. Yeah. Um, so behind these locked doors and high walls, the nuns lived and they died. Damn. By the late 1800s, without all of the substantial dowries of the wealthy nuns, the monastery was facing a really difficult time. Yeah. The nuns were having to put in more work, even like maintenance work, to accommodate with the minimal funds that they had because oh their money was gone, sent to the Vatican. Um, by the 1970s, civil code, the city, required them to install electricity and running water. This is the 1970s. So up until the 70s, they had no water. They had no electricity. It was candles. It was, they had a, um, what's that thing called where you would go and get your water? Um, oh, a, a well? A well. Yeah. They had a well. Um, so yeah, he's enforcing that they needed to install electricity and running water to meet the demands of modern life. But with the funds that they had, they were unable to comply. Therefore, the remaining nuns elected to open the majority of the monastery to the public. Okay. And this was huge because for over 400 years, nobody had seen what was behind those walls. Right. Making it like Arequipa's biggest tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. Entrance fees today are $14.50 with an English language tour. Um, this continues to pay the monastery's maintenance costs for the remaining 21 nuns that live there. So I mean, from 150 to 21. Um, the nuns that do reside there, they live in this really restricted, off-limits area to visitors. Yeah. Um, and it's a very small complex within the monastery. But they are also now free to leave the grounds and go out in public. And, you know, they're not so secluded. Of course, this such shielded community from the public was going to start some speculation. Mm-hmm. So rumors started to flow. It was rumored, um, and this rumor actually was not oh like brand new whenever they opened the monastery this was going on for quite some time it was rumored that vampires um disguised as nuns and priests would leave through this secret door they would stalk these unsuspecting night travelers and would drain their blood so whether that rumor means that the people inside the monastery were these vampires or i don't know what it means but they're hiding vampires underneath the monastery yeah well guys patreon we know a lot about vampires now don't we yeah we do they just listen to it we love vampires yeah um people on night visits say that you can see shadows from the moonlight of nuns like walk because again there's no electricity so at nighttime in these tours they stay open really late it just has the moonlight and it has some candles and i actually do think outside there's like street light candles like street lights but candles or battery powered maybe i don't know it's probably the like the the flame ones or like solar powered now yeah i bet it's solar probably um so they say that when the moonlight's shining against these like bright colorful walls they see the shadows of nuns like walking across the walls that is cool yeah but like also so terrifying yeah and again there's no one following the shadow so you're like where is that shadow coming oh from? oh my god um visitors have reported feeling somebody grasp a hold of them when they visit into the nuns private room sectors and they were believing that they were trying to like escape through the visiting guests like oh. they're stuck there in this 
whatever we would decide the afterlife would be or right. the, the in between would be and these visitors are coming in the room they're trying to like get out with them damn that's all um it was also rumored that if and when and this is rumored to have happened a nun got pregnant she was forced to give up her child whether unborn or born is not known and the baby was then catacombed into the walls of the monastery and they know this because there were bones in the wall <laughs> more in no way yeah what the fuck and so another version of this was that the nuns were hiding their babies yeah. when they were born into the walls yeah so that's that they probably... didn't get caught yeah that's really horrific yeah um so just venturing into the city within walls it can be eerie in itself because it literally is transporting you back 400 years ago with the architecture the furniture etc mm -hmm. um it's all almost always empty so it gives that abandonment feeling yet everything is in really pristine condition the flowers are watered the floors are clean but there's no one there so it's it gives off this really eerie vibe yeah because it's like it's like almost if um everyone just left at once mm -hmm. you know those pictures that you see that are like super yeah. eerie of like cities and towns where it's like abandoned aban it's abandoned yeah. that's what we're looking for goodness gracious. okay um at night you have the moonlight and the candles and you can just feel the emptiness the sounds of bells and chimes just surround you and it's literally like this giant time capsule that you get to walk into that's so cool um people have reported hearing the creaking of the old doors um to turn around and see it opened with nobody there oh shit um they say that the candles will blow out themselves and you walk around with like these cold spots hitting you and i actually got onto youtube and i found these <laughs> these two guys and they're actually really funny these two guys that um were vlogging their visit to the monastery and i don't think this was funny i think this was kind of cruel but they were walking around one was like we should go around and blow out all the candles and then um they would have to come and relight them and then we'll blow them out again Oh my and God, they did. Mean. No, that's they didn't. mean. They actually did. Yeah, it. they actually did. It's on video. That's an intrusive thought. Like that's just something you don't do. Yeah, that's like. What if we? <laughs> wouldn't it be funny, <laughs> Jacob? What if? It, <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if we blow out all these candles and then we drink a glass of milk and then <laughs> and they all lit back up and they all lit back up? That would be crazy. That'd be so crazy. Um. Yeah. So there's also this one area in in the monastery, and it's this giant room with like many little preserved bits. They have paintings that date back to the 1500s and these paintings are of nuns that look like they are sleeping but they are dead oh like they're dead in the paintings like they're painting a dead nun oh wow but it's like depicted like they're sleeping um they also have on display a heart in a jar Whoa. i'm not sure the significance of this but it's very odd no. Ooh. like it's in a jar as if it's a pickled cucumber right was in a jar and becoming a pickle and it's just like in the middle just in the middle of this art gallery room and it's like deep underneath the ground so it's like really oh, like creepy that's creepy um they also have this statue of this nun that looks to have these like glazed white eyes with like tiny black pupils mm. um and another painting depicts a nun praying with seven swords stabbed into her heart which i think would be the seven seven deadly sins. sins yeah, yeah um hundreds of other pieces of art from the 1700s and even earlier like i'm talking dozens of dozens of just priceless paintings like these are so old and so antique and they probably go for a lot of dollar bills i mean they probably go in a fucking museum yeah um people have felt in the hallways the paintings like when they so i don't know how to explain it. it's kind of like this big giant t-shape and mm -hmm. they have it roped off like each foot on each side of the room but it is just painting after painting and there are these big gorgeous paintings like you know maybe like a huge four by 
six like huge four by six like they're big paintings and people say when they walk down these hallways because there's no lights there's well there is lights there's candles yeah like that they just feel these eyes just just staring at them staring at them from all directions and and another thing that those two guys said in their youtube video was that um when they did their tour down there well when they were above ground you know there was probably 45 people there with them but when they were down there there was never anyone there and i guess a lot of people say that that like I don't know why it's always just ends up being you alone down there by the That's pictures. That's so odd. Maybe there are other people and you just can't can't see, see them. them. Yeah. Um, each visitor says it's an eeriness that you really just can't put into words. You always feel watched, followed, and it can be hard to breathe. With all of that aside, though, it is the most gorgeous thing that they have ever seen being able to just transport back in time into such this like... I mean, it's just so well preserved. That I just don't know gorgeous. how to say. So I have a couple pictures for you. Oh, okay. um, I just want you to kind of just like go through them. So like this is uh, one of the nuns like private beds. Wow. Look at that cross. It looks look, so creepy. I know it does look creepy, but like look at how good that fabric I is. I mean, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. beautiful. And it's so bright and gorgeous. Yeah. Um, It's just like very <gasps> vibrant like walkways. Oh my God. Like you can see just how tall the buildings are. Yeah, they're You know huge. what I mean? Guys, I literally, that's what my, the street that I lived on in um Spain when I was over looked there like. looked like. Yeah. yeah it's gorgeous the blue they have the volcano behind oh them. my god this is this is stunning yeah and this is on a lot of what does that say archway silencio silence oh, okay like yeah. demanding silence wow um that's really cool it's another video picture down then in the area wow guys the blues the colors are so it's like a cobalt vibrant. Is that the right color? Cobalt blue? Yeah, like it that's is. what it looks like. It's like an ocean blue. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, that is the Santa Catalina Monastery. Wow. And a little bit of the ice mummy. Well, first off, thanks. I loved it so much. And I loved being able to learn a lot of that. I don't know why I don't know so I know. much, you know? Yeah. So I hopefully we could educate some people. While Maybe. we're educating ourselves, I hope that we <laughs> could educate you as well. Yes. And also be able to share, like, I like I know it is a haunting, but that that is the podcast. But to be able to share, like, that piece of culture. Is, yeah, that's so cool. I've yeah. never even heard of it before. Yeah. It, and it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I feel like that should be, like, somewhere. Like, I don't know, like, I, I want paintings of that in my house. Like, it's Yeah, stunning. I would literally have that red one or the yes. blue, like, in the a, on red, a wall. The red um, hallway. Yeah. Oh, my God. In a painting? Yeah. Wow. We'll just print it out. Oh, it's printed out. It's going right there. Yeah, it's going right there. Just give us some color. Pop yeah. the color. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Anyway, that's all I got. Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much, Morgan. I don't know about you, but I am constantly overwhelmed by the amount of choices we have in our daily lives. Like, really, though, why do we need (laughs) 500 different types of brands of cereal, toilet paper, hairspray, and makeup? There are so many options, it's even hard to choose what works best for you, especially when it comes to skincare. And our Patreons know that about two weeks ago when I went to the store and I was trying to find some good eye cream and moisturizer to go to Denver, I ended up doing tons of research on what types of products I would need to keep my face from drying and breaking out. But by the time I walked out of that store, I was 10 more times confused than what I was walking in and my wallet was completely empty. And if we're going to be real, aka always, only two of the nine products products that I bought worked while the other ones broke me out even more. I was so excited to get home and use my apostrophe products that actually work for me. And this is why we are so excited to partner with apostrophe as a sponsor of this episode. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized acne treatment for your unique skin. 
Through Apostrophe, you can get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear acne. Simply fill out an online consultation about your skin goals and medical history, then snap a few selfies and a board-certified dermatologist will create your first customized treatment plan. Apostrophe offers access to treatments for all types of acne, from hormonal acne to facial acne and even back acne, chestnut, and butt acne. They treat breakouts from head to toe. One thing that I've really been working on outside of my redness is giving my face this hydrated, even-toned, and young glow. My apostrophe provider not only sent products directly to my door to help with this, but recommended great and affordable products for me to use. So far, with my new routine, my skin feels fresh, hydrated, and gives me the confidence that I need to be on camera for you all. <laughs> Which is a lot. We need a lot of confidence for I that. I do. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash creepsandcrimes when you use our code creepsandcrimes. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available for our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash creepsandcrimes and click begin visit. Then use our code creepsandcrimes crimes at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only five dollars thank you apostrophe for sponsoring this episode okay so i'm actually really excited to share this case with you guys because though it is sad like it is such a beautiful story and it's just like such a good story to hear um and i actually heard this back in 2021 like early 2021 and the first time I read about it was actually in the New York Post, which I'm going to go back to here in a second. But then I heard it um, when Christine covered it on And That's Why We Drink. And I was driving to Sweetwater, Tennessee. For what? I don't know. I was driving to the courthouse. And I was driving. Oh, I thought maybe you were going to the Lost Sea of Adventures. <laughs> no. That I've been to eight times. Someone was with me. And I think it might have been Nikki. But she had to drop something off in Sweetwater. Oh, my God. It was when she used to work at the law office. Uh, and every time she'd have to take long drives like that, I'd be like, here, just let me drive so I can listen to a podcast. It was right after I got fired. Yeah. So I was just dying to do anything. Anyways, so that was the first time I like listened to it on a podcast. And just the way that Christine told it was just like so beautiful. And I so wanted to do it. So I decided to wait for as long as I could. But it's just been itching at me. So this was the perfect, perfect, perfect time to share this story with you guys. So I want to give you my sources, even though we haven't done this in a super long time, as they are very limited on this case. And these pieces that I have used are so well written and researched. And it's just so important also to pay credit to these journalists who put For all sure. this time and work into you know, f digging up these details and interviewing people. And they work on these for years sometimes. So first and foremost, the New York Times reporter Azam Ahmed, he literally wrote the most informative and detailed and well-researched piece I have ever read on this case on December 13th, 2020. And it was updated on January 12th, 2021. And that was when I actually read it. And then a few weeks later is when Christian Christine covered it. No way. And this is where a lot of my research came from was this New York Post piece. Um, next, or New York Times. Um, and then next, a lot of my research came from um, the next true crime edition article. 
Jet Set Times article by Allison H. And a Medium article that is um, by Josie K. SolidarityUS.org article and an amazing piece that was written by the BBC um, by Will Grant, their reporter. I really love Medium.com. Me- oh my God, I love Medium. I have an account just so I can get on there and read people's stuff. Um, Can I get access to that? Oh my God, it's through our Creeps and Crimes. Oh, I need to get the login. Yeah, it's through Creeps and Crimes. Because they're always like, um, you're you, done. You're yeah. done. You're done. I'm like, what? I've had it open for three hours. <laughs> this is a locked piece. And I'm like, uh, I have to get into it. So yeah, yeah. I love them. Yeah. Okay, so um, on January 23rd, 2012, in San Fernando, Mexico, which is 85 miles away from Brownsville, Texas, and it is unfortunately known for experiencing the two largest recorded massacres of the Mexican drug war. And the first one is known as the 2010 San Fernando Massacre, which occurred following a gunfight between Mexican authorities and the drug cartel gunmen. And after this gunfight, authorities began patrolling this nearby area, which is where, like, this part of the cartel was living and operating at. And um, they discovered this ranch that was super remote that they had been operating on, where they found 72 bodies. They were piled on top of each other in a single room. What? 58 men and 14 women, all of which um, were believed to be attempting to cross into the U.S. border when they were kidnapped by the Los Zetas cartel and were killed for refusing to do work for them. Officials seized 21 rifles, 101 ammunition clips, four bulletproof vests, camo uniforms, and four vehicles from this ranch. Just one year later, in 2011, the second massacre of San Fernando took place. This mass murder of 193 people was once again at the hands of the Los Zetas at the La Jolla Ranch in this area. Authorities were investigating this area as a result of numerous reportings of hijackings of passenger buses on Mexican Federal Highway 101 between March and June of 2011. Authorities uh, exhumed 139 corpses from eight mass graves. My gosh, dude. So before we move forward, um, I want to discuss Las Cedas. So this is regarded as one of the most dangerous of Mexico's drug cartels. Now, they are known for being brutally violent for drug trafficking, sex trafficking, gun running, rackets, Uh, protection rackets, assassinations, kidnapping, extortion, and much more. Wow. The origins of Los Zetas dates back to the 90s when commandos from the Mexican army deserted their ranks and began working as enforcement for the Gulf Cartel. And it was in 2010 that they broke away from the Gulf Cartel and began their own independent organization, meaning in 2012, Los Zetas, their influence... And their crime was at an all-time high. On January 23rd, 2012, Karen Rodriguez was working with her mother at their family's business in San Fernando. When she was running an errand in her family's work pickup truck, she was preparing to merge lanes into traffic when two trucks pulled up on either side of her and stopped. Armed men jumped out of these trucks and broke into hers and drove off with her in it. They then drove Karen to her family's home and laid her on her living room floor, bound and gagged as they ransacked the entire home. 
And then there was a knock at the door. It was Karen's uncle. He was a mechanic and had stopped by to do the work that he had promised on the family's truck. The kidnappers then bound her unsuspecting uncle and fled with him and Karen from the family's home. Now, I'd be like, why me? Why me? Why me? Right. And now some reports say that it has um, it. This guy was more of a family friend than he was like an actual uncle. uncle, But they thought of him as an uncle. So some will say like the family friend. Others will say the uncle. So when Karen's mother, Miriam, learned of what had happened to her daughter and her friend, she sat um, up a sit down meeting with a cartel member to beg for him to release her daughter. And she and her husband were sitting down face to face with this member who insisted that they had no idea of what happened to Karen, that the cartel did not have her, but he offered to help track her down for $2,000. And when I say cartel, I mean he was working with Las Vegas. Meanwhile, through this meeting, the man's walkie-talkie was like constantly squawking on and off, and there was like chatters on the radio. When Miriam heard the man's name as someone had called him, and his name was Sama, and you would typically not know their name. Like they would either A, not have a name, or it would be a fake name they would give. So this was really big. So Miriam was actually able to get a loan for the $2,000 needed to help track down Karen and handed it over to Sama. And actually banks were like doing this very frequently at this point in time as their kidnappings were at like an all-time high. And so they were able to like get the money in a day. Um, Do you think that the cartels um, are like partnered with the banks? Probably because they have these ransom things that they give out and the bank can give it to you in a day and hand it over. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she was able to get this money and she handed it over to Sama. But after a week, he stopped answering all calls, which is when the other members called claiming to have both Sama's money and Karen. And they instructed Miriam that for Karen's return, they would need an additional $500 handed over. And Miriam gave it to them. A few weeks later, with no further response from these new members, Miriam told her older daughter, Azalea, who she was living with at the time as her and her husband had separated, um, that she knew Karen was never coming back and she was likely dead already telling Azalea that she would not rest until she found Karen's kidnappers. She would hunt them down, every single one of them, until the day she died. And Miriam meant that. With every God-fearing bone in her body, every ounce of pain that only a mother could feel every particle in her soul, Miriam would find them and she would make them pay. Not by killing them, but by getting her daughter justice and fighting for others, other kids who were abducted by the Los Zetas. Around the same time, the family friend or uncle that was abducted with Karen was actually released. And he was able to give Miriam more than hope. He was able to give her detailed descriptions of what every single person who had abducted them looked like and where they went and confirmed that Sama was with the group who had abducted Karen. So Miriam began her investigation, digging into who Sama was. 
finding his real names, his fake names all over social media, using image searches to find him. She went in the depths of the internet and she ended up finding him on Facebook. His profile picture was him and a woman who was wearing the uniform of workers at a local ice cream shop that was in Victoria, which was two hours away. So Miriam jumped in her car and she drove the two hours and sat outside of this ice cream shop for weeks discreetly, waiting for Sama to show up and visit his girlfriend. And he finally did. Miriam carefully followed them to their home and wrote down the address before returning to her home. There, she changed her entire appearance. She cut her hair. She colored it. She did her makeup differently. And she put on her old health ministry uniform out of the boxes that were in her basement to use as a disguise. She spent the next few days canvassing the neighborhood, asking all of Sama's neighbors to participate in this local survey. Once Miriam had gathered enough information on Sama, she took every single thing that she had to all levels of law enforcement. But one after another, they turned her away until one federal policeman was ready and willing to help her. He said that after all the work that she had done, it would be his greatest privilege in his career to aid her in seeking justice for her daughter. They issued a warrant for his arrest, Sama, but he was nowhere to be found. But Miriam's son, Louis, who had actually moved away from San Fernando to escape this violence, was working at this um, store nearby that ice cream shop. And one evening he was closing up his shop and he saw Sama across the street from him. So he took a quick picture and immediately sent it to the officers and to his mother. And that night, September 15th, 2014, Sama was arrested. It didn't take long for the authorities to get a lot of information out of him. They were able to get names and details about all of those people who were involved in Karen's abduction. And one of the names that he had given up was 18-year-old Christian Jose Zapata Gonzalez. Police were able to track him down and bring him in for questioning. Sitting outside the interrogation room was actually Miriam. Um, The 18-year-old asked for his mother multiple times and told officers that he was hungry over and over, asking when he could go home, and Miriam felt empathy for him. He was still literally a child, so she walked in the room and gave him her lunch. It was a Coke and a piece of fried chicken with some sides. When officers asked her why she did this, according to the New York Times article, she said, quote, he is still a child, no matter what he did, and I am still a mother, end quote. No. Maybe want to cry. Because of Miriam's kindness, he was able to tell officers and Miriam everything. And he even offered to take them to the ranch where Karen and many others were killed and buried. It was a part of a large kidnapping ring, the same ranch where that gunfight had taken place. Miriam and the others walked around this abandoned ranch, picking through all of the belongings that had been just left behind. Along this, along with these were bones, bloodstains, and even a noose hanging from a nearby oh tree. Gosh. They just began picking through all of these piles of belongings. Miriam and her son, Louis, were searching through all of it, just keeping an eye out for belongings of Karen's, but also the uh, belongings of missing women and men from their area that were in their support group with them, who Miriam had been looking out for and promised to also fight for while she fought for Karen. She had, like, made this whole organization. 
and did all this like legwork for them. That is fucking remarkable. Right. So they're looking through all of this and she's keeping an eye out. She has like pictures of all the things that these other individuals had given her. And she froze um, because what she had picked up was a scarf and right beside it was a seat cushion. They were from Karen's car. Forensic agents oh. searched through all of the bones and remains and it l took them an entire year to find a piece that belonged to Karen and it was a piece of a femur which DNA linked to her. But on that day in 2014, when she had discovered her daughter's scarf and seat cushion, Miriam and her son were on their way home, leaving that ranch, and they were driving by, by all these restaurants. And one of these restaurants was one that she had eaten with her other daughter, um, Azalea, at just two days after Karen's kidnapping. Thinking about how close she was to her daughter in that moment, like almost made her sick. So she began just kind of reminiscing on this day. Like I was literally right down the road from her. You know, we did this and we did that. And it just like kind of felt like a blur to her. And then she's like kind of walking through it. And she's like, okay, so we walked in and seated at a table nearby um, was this girl. And she was by herself sipping a soda. And it was someone that Miriam knew very, very well. It was a little girl from her neighborhood. Well, she wasn't a little girl anymore. She was like a full grown adult, but her name was Elvia Betacourt. That day, Miriam had stopped by Elvia's table to say hello, and the two chatted for a little bit before Miriam asked if she had heard about what had happened to Karen. And at this point, everyone knew about Karen's abduction because fucking Miriam made sure of it. She right. was out here in the streets doing fucking the Lord's work, right? But Elvia was like, no, no, I hadn't heard what, what happened. She was like shocked. And Miriam explained everything. Well, that day, Miriam had found this odd, but she really didn't think much of it until she was driving past this restaurant again. Especially someone in the neighborhood. Right. Like, you're going to know. Exactly. So this didn't really hit Miriam until two years later when she realizes all of this. And it dawns on her. Elvia knew something. That's exactly how she lied when she was a younger girl. Miriam was so fucking hurt to even think this about Elvia because Miriam had taken care of her from a very young age. She literally gave her all of her daughter's clothing, shelter, food after Elvia's mother had abandoned her. So when Miriam got home, she wasted no time at all of the digging that she got, was good at. So she got into Elvia's social medias and Elvia was dating one of the men who had kidnapped Karen. And he was best friends with Sama and Christian. So, Are you kidding? Wait, how joking. old was she when she was she dating? Was, she's dating them currently or she was dating at the time she of the She was abduction? dating him at the time of the abduction. I don't know if they... No, I do know. They were currently dating. Yes. Um, but this boyfriend, he was currently in prison, which is why like Miriam didn't have to worry about him because he was one that was named to be involved with Karen's kidnapping. So she didn't ever have to worry about him because he was in prison for an unrelated crime. So when Marianne, when Miriam found out which prison he was at, she pulled the fuck up. Hell yeah. And she sat outside every day for weeks waiting for Elvia to finally pull up at visiting hours. When Miriam spotted her, Miriam loves to she loves to stalk a stakeout. She loves it. She loves it. So when Miriam spotted her, she immediately called the officer she had been working with, who was waiting nearby, and um, they pulled up and arrested Elvia and brought her in for questioning. They later learned that many of the ransom calls 
to Miriam's house from the second members after Sama, they were from Elvia's home. Shut up. And Elvia had more details on the names, um, even more so than what the other two had shared. Yeah, because the girl's going to break. That's right. one thing. I'd so, break. Oh, my God. I'd be like, okay, this is everything I know, but yeah. don't say you heard it from me. Yeah. Yeah. Pinky. Pinky. Pinky swear. So some of Karen's kidnappers were dead. Some were in jail and some had started new lives. And one of these was Enrique Flores. He was born. He was now a born again Christian. Like all the others before, Miriam tracked his ass down and she paid his grandmother a visit. Bitch went to grandma's house. Hell yeah. Um, And she told the grandmother everything about what her beloved grandson, who was now a born again Christian, had done. And the grandmother said, yeah, my grandson was a bad man and now he's trying to live a better life. He's in church. So Miriam begins attending this family's church. She becomes a member. (laughs) <laughs> she waited at every service until she found him so she went to like all the services until which one he came to so she called the police when he walked in during the ceremony or um like the ceremony the like church service the police come in and arrest enrique during this at oh this my chapel gosh. is so, that illegal no apparently not they did it well maybe in the u.s you can't no you can't arrest someone on church property maybe like but like in church yeah you can yeah wow so they walked up into this chapel arrested this kid and miriam's just standing there beside them as they do it and churchgoers are shocked stunned what the hell is going on here oh, yeah and miriam's like leading the police officers and like pointing at him and this is him this is his family arrest him and his family is like begging miriam for mercy well according to the new york times reporting She laughed in front of God and everybody and said, quote, where was his compassion when he killed my daughter? End quote. Hell yes. Miriam. Literally. Hell yes. That is just the most fucking powerful shit ever. So obviously they have nothing to say. Right. She hasn't. Everybody else is just stunned. They're like, okay, you know what? Never mind. Take it. Go. Show no mercy. My God. Um, so the devil works hard, but Miriam works fucking harder and she had gotten her justice. She continued to share her hard work, her connections, her knowledge with other victims, families. She started organizations, public campaigns. She was threatening the drug cartel fearlessly. When people asked if she was scared for what she was doing, as it was very dangerous in making her a target, she said, quote, I don't care if they kill me. I died the day that they killed my daughter. I want this to end. I am going to take out the people who hurt my daughter and they can do whatever they want to me, end quote. Miriam successfully had almost every person that was involved in Karen's murder and kidnapping put away in prison in the city of Victoria. That is so impressive. But in March of 2017, there were over two dozen prisoners who somehow escaped, many including those that Miriam had put away. She was obviously terrified about this and asked the government for protection, which they agreed. And they had police officers patrolling her home and her work like hourly. And they expected Miriam to lay low. But she was like, no. No shot. I'm not laying low. In fact, she continued her work and did it even harder than before. She was now tracking them down again and putting them away. 
On Mother's Day, May 10th, 2017, Miriam, who was still recovering from a broken foot from where she had chased this woman down who was involved in Karen's abduction on foot and like rolled her ankle and it broke her foot. Wow. Um, And she was sitting outside of this same woman's house because she had gotten away. So she's sitting outside this woman's house and she was literally like peeing in cups and like dumping them out. She was not leaving until the woman left this house or came to this house. So she's sitting there and she's waiting and she spots her. She immediately calls police. They arrest her. And she was like, hell yeah, done. So this was at like 10.21 p.m. And Miriam starts heading home to her husband who she had rekindled her love with now and moved back in with. She parked on the street and began walking inside. And she was using her crutches. So Don't she tell was me moving anymore. Very, very slowly. Don't tell me anymore. It's so bad. And a white Nissan truck pulled up quietly behind her and quickly fired 13 rounds at 57-year-old Miriam. Her husband rushed outside, calling for help, but only saw the truck drive off. Miriam had succumbed to her injuries um, very quickly, um, and she was shot by many of the prison escapees. In fact, it was four that she had put away. She was mourned by the entire community of these people who she had helped, fought for, and given voices to, campaigned to the government for them. Um, And even the state's governor tweeted that, which is so crazy to say, tweeted, that the government will not allow the death of Miriam Rodriguez turn into yet another statistic, with authorities vowing to catch each of her killers one by one, placing a plaque in the town to honor her and her amazing work. Wow. And that is a story of Miriam Rodriguez, and it has been truly like the honor of my life to share her story. So thank you, Miriam, for being like a boss-ass bitch. A literal boss-ass bitch. You are... An iconic, powerful, brave, brave, brave woman. And like, so brave. I feel like that is like, that just is so true to speak about. Like, I mean, just, it's just a perfect month to celebrate her. Absolutely. Because there is truly like nothing more tight knit and powerful and powerful than family and fighting for your family. And that's something that I so, um, I admire about Hispanic communities and families there like there's such a unit together and like this is just the perfect story that so shows that and just like how you never stop fighting for your family and you go down with them like that fucking Miriam such a tragic ending but honestly like the the change that she made in those years Mm mm-hmm she didn't stop she never stopped and she knew that she was going to die doing it she was perfectly fine with it she was doing that for her daughter I loved it. And now her son actually continues her work. Oh, mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful. And he, I was reading. Scary, but good. Yeah, I was reading about his, like, thoughts on it. And he was like, it's the reason why I moved away. Like, it was just dangerous. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be a part of it. But, like, I will honor my mother. Absolutely. And everything that she had done and all the work that she had put into this. I'm, like, I'm not stopping now. And especially now I'm doing it for her. I'm going to track down her killers. Is really I love that. a beautiful, a beautiful a tragic family story. of hunters. Literally, literally. I mean, it was that just... will get it done. Yeah, literally. They don't fuck with nobody. Literally, that was just like the coolest, coolest case. It was. It's such an honor to cover it. And I, I waited for so long. I, I've I've had that those like notes written out for so long. I loved it. 
really <sighs> great. Thanks so much. And guys, I hope you guys enjoyed um, this episode. We so love being able to honor and uh, celebrate National Hispanic Heritage Month with all of you. And I hope we did a good job. I know, you know, we can't pronounce shit. And um, oh, we're sorry. <laughs> and we're really, really sorry. about. We really it. did well with our pronunciations. Like, yeah, I, like not not that we did well speaking them but we really tried our best to have them in our notes so yes as a guide yes absolutely so i can't wait until next week um we're gonna get really spooky with you for one of our most um highly requested cases requested this is the one this is the one like this is the number one in our um submission portal let's is that what it's called yeah okay yeah all right guys well thanks so much for listening we'll see you guys next thursday love you lots love you bye